This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Piss Town, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Rudy Giuliani has COVID-19. Bless He's in up. in the hospital. Uh, it's been a long year. A lot of bad news this year. Lots of inconveniences this year. I got to say that the happiest day of the year for me was the day I found out that Trump got COVID. I don't think that any single day of 2020 has created as much elation and joy as finding out that Trump had COVID. And here on a day like finding out that Rudy Giuliani has COVID, it. I, I'm not getting that same endorphin rush because I know he's just going to get the rich people drugs and be fine. But I want to capture, I want to bottle up some of that Trump got COVID day energy and just be able to take a swig of it every now and then. Yeah, yeah, that was a great day. Uh, there is a lighter and even better side to the to the Rudy G story here, though, because as I'm sure... Many of our listeners are well aware he has been going around the country making the case in various state legislatures, very poorly making the case that the election was stolen uh, from Trump. And so now the Arizona state legislature has shut down <laughs> for a week in an, in an abundance of uh, caution over the Rudy Giuliani diagnosis. <laughs> Rudy has had quite a, a character arc over the last 40 days or so since he was in the Borat movie trying to fondle himself in a hotel room to uh, now potentially getting COVID and dying about 40 days later. In between, of course, he had the whole uh, sweating his hair dye uh, out and a uh, bit of flatulence last week while uh, testifying about voter fraud. Hey, here's something else. Uh, this is a real deep cut for Sentinel heads out there. Back in the day, Sam and I used to do a segment uh, called From the Inbox where we read some of the uh, ship merchant emails that we got on a daily basis. Just by hand of being a reporter in DC, you get thrown on a lot of email listservs. And one of the uh, purveyors of shitty emails that I used to highlight all the time on that segment, do you remember Dr. Jane Orient, Sam? Oh, yeah. I remember so, Dr. Yeah. Jane. Yeah, yeah. A real, a real kooky uh, doctor who would send out bizarre emails, like chain emails that are geared toward your older relatives to, to bring them in and get them to spread them. Um just spreading all sorts of uh, reactionary medical theories. Uh, I just read that Jane Orient is testifying at the U.S. Senate Homeland Security Committee. Oh, my God. Tomorrow. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. Uh, Jane, Jane, Dr. Orient's latest shtick is being an anti-vaxxer. Oh. And, um, yeah, she's she's going to be uh, called to testify. <laughs> Jesus Christ. in front of uh in front of Congress as the uh, Republican witness 
for this world's uh, greatest deliberative body, baby. Homeland Security Committee hearing on Tuesday. So, uh, so that, that should would be, be fun. That would be Maybe, Ron uh, Johnson's committee. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll probably keep an eye on that and uh, report on just how Dr. Jane Orient is doing these days. <laughs> really curious here. All right. It's Monday, December 7th, a day that shall live in infamy. <laughs> 2020. Here's the news. It's commonly known that if you want to bury news in Washington, you release it on Friday afternoon, the old Friday afternoon news dump, as journalists call it. Just before last weekend, the Pentagon released a whopper. The agency announced it was using dozens of millions in coronavirus aid money from the CARES Act passed in March to, quote, strengthen essential domestic industrial base capabilities. That means handouts for war profiteers in the name of pandemic relief. Unsurprisingly, almost all of the cash went to one company. Boeing received $63 million to produce cargo aircraft engines. DOD said this was needed, citing, quote, a significant downturn in their commercial business. You might recall that before the coronavirus pandemic, Boeing suffered a significant downturn in their commercial business because their airplanes kept crashing. The 737 MAX. Also included in Friday's handouts were $1.5 million for a shipbuilding contractor, $2.3 million for a company that makes vapor ultrasonic degreaser machines, $3 million for a uniform manufacturer, and $5.1 million for a zipper manufacturer. In true Friday news dump fashion, the $63 million for Boeing was at the very bottom of the press release. Thanks to Sentinel Research Assistant Matt, the third Sam Sostock, for flagging this story for us. How do I get one of those vapor ultrasonic degreaser machines for my dab rig? <laughs> Things have been clogged for days. New data out of the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows just how hard the pandemic has hit the U.S. labor force. Even if people were employed at a company that received assistance related to COVID, more than half of private businesses in the U.S. asked their employees to take time off during the pandemic. That's 4.4 million companies. Of those, only about half, 51%, actually provided some or full wages to their workers. Even less, 42% of those businesses paid partial or full health care benefits to workers asked to take time off. Also, according to BLS data, coronavirus-related loans and grants helped about 62% of U.S. companies, employing 74 million workers, that's 59% of the workforce. And while these loans were tied to keeping folks on the payroll, about 40% of the companies that received one told their workers to take time off but did not pay them any of their wages. Wall Street Journal report from last month found that at least 300 companies that received payroll protection program funding under the CARES Act eventually went bankrupt. The journal used a limited metric for their study and noted that the actual number of bankruptcies after receiving PPP loans is far higher. An update on a story we covered in October 
The push by the Trump administration to get Kodak approved for a $765 million government loan to get the fallen film giant into pharmaceuticals. The deal was stalled after stock transactions by executives sparked insider trading inquiries. Today, the loan moved one step closer toward being finalized. The inspector general of the agency overseeing the loan, the Development Finance Corporation, said that agency officials did nothing wrong in considering Kodak for the deal. The Wall Street Journal reported the news today, noting it came in the form of correspondence between the DFC and Elizabeth Warren's office. Agency Inspector General Anthony Zakel said that other companies have also moved to COVID-related manufacturing, that Kodak has pharmaceutical industry experience, and that the DFC followed the rules. In the wake of the news, Kodak's stock was up about 80% from $7.5 per share to just over $13 per share. The announcement, however, doesn't clear White House officials of improperly influencing the deal, as a staffer for Senator Warren told the journal. The White House was incredibly thirsty to get this deal done, as we noted in our, in our October report, Peter Navarro's Kodak moment. Also, the DFC noted that their investigation didn't cover Kodak or any non-DFC personnel activity. The Trump administration will not tighten rules on soot pollution, despite evidence showing that even slight restrictions would save thousands of people a year. Industrial-related particles known as PM2.5 have been linked to respiratory illnesses that kill as many as 45,000 people a year and have also shown to increase likelihood of contracting COVID. PM2.5 is currently regulated to 12 micrograms per cubic meter, Career scientists at the EPA published a study showing that simply lowering the limit from 12 micrograms to 9 micrograms would save the lives of more than 12,000 people a year. But instead of listening to those career officials, the EPA will listen to a variety of industries, mining and coal, to chemicals, to automobiles, who rallied to discredit the study. In other words, fuck those 12,000 people. In related news, a nationwide air pollution monitoring system is collapsing due to neglect. That's the conclusion of a new government watchdog report. Sensors located around the country managed jointly by the EPA and state officials that are falling into disrepair and budget constraints are presenting risks to the data and our ongoing ability to monitor pollution levels. It's according to a new report from the Government Accountability Office which reviewed the National Ambient Air Quality Monitoring System. The budget for maintaining the capability has decreased 20% over the last 16 years, accounting for inflation. The COVID pandemic is worsening the problem as well. GAO reporting that austerity at the state and local government level has already led to furloughs of air quality staff. Also, some states reported using equipment that is more than two decades old, even though it was designed to only last seven years. One state agency reported having to shop on eBay for old monitoring equipment that the manufacturer had discontinued making. In 2015 and 2016, ozone data had to be thrown out because old monitoring systems affected its quality. GAO described the incident as leading to, quote, significant costs from the loss of valuable data, end quote. And it's not just the monitoring technology, but also the buildings they're located in, Reading from the report, quote, 
Officials from several state and local agencies noted that some of their shelters were up to 30 years old and in poor condition. Officials from one state agency said that in some of their shelters, termites and ants are a consistent issue, and they have had to repair roof leaks with rubber cement and protect equipment with plastic sheets. End quote. Sounds pretty shitty. Hey, at least we have a bunch of F-35 planes, though. With the plague raging amid mass unemployment, the Supreme Court has decided to review Medicaid work requirements struck down by a lower court. Justices said on Friday that they would take the case. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals had said in February that the requirements were unconstitutional, that Alex Azar, President Trump's Secretary of Health and Human Services, had failed to consider how the decision would impact help to the poor, which is why Congress created Medicaid in the first place. But the rule change was thrown a lifeline by the Supreme Court, much to the chagrin of the litigants who sued to stop their work requirements. In filings, in response to the appeal, they blasted the Trump administration for trying, saying, quote, during a pandemic in which 50 million Americans have filed for unemployment and nearly 12 million have lost employer-sponsored health insurance, the Secretary of Health and Human Services asks this court to revive demonstration projects that would allow states to kick people off Medicaid for failing to seek and obtain jobs that are not there, end of quote. When the Trump administration said they would allow states to impose work requirements on Medicaid, two states did, Arkansas and New Hampshire, the good news, according to the New York Times, is that the Biden administration can stop all of this through executive action, and it's actually looking like it will. The president-elect announced he would appoint California Attorney General Javier Becerra as Secretary of HHS. Becerra supports Medicare for All, though the Times noted that he won't be pushing for it if confirmed. Finally, since... None of you should be traveling or doing anything fun for New Year's this year. You should just stay home and chill, like I do every year. Here's something else you can do at the turn of the calendar instead. Wait for mass declassification of government documents and hope that some bureaucrats made a mistake. Blogger Stephen Aftergood over at the Federation of American Scientists flagged a decision last week made by the Director of the Information Security Oversight Office that decision was to not grant an extension to the December 31st deadline for the review of 25-year-old permanent classified records that are set for automatic declassification. Agencies had cited the pandemic and reduced staff as reasons for an extension to that deadline, but it wasn't granted. Now, No one here at the Sentinel is taking pleasure in the prospect of people being overworked and trying not to miss a deadline, but just saying that any record that's not reviewed prior to the deadline will be automatically declassified and maybe some mistakes will be made. All right, that's the newscast and that music means it's time to read some poetry for our new subscribers over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month to get access to all our bonus content. Plus, you get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. And you get a free month subscription to Means TV, where you can catch Sam and I every Thursday morning for Means Morning News. All right, this first poem goes out to Killer Cotton Shisno. Shark Tank with new spin, throwing billionaires in tanks filled with hungry sharks. Thank you, Killer Cotton Shisno. 
This is for Harvey. Undercover Boss. A fresh take on a classic. Bosses Underground. Thank you, Harvey. Just uh, reinventing primetime TV right now. ABC, have your people call our people. We've got some ideas. This is for Jake. Here comes Santa Claus, old St. Nick, the Kris Kringle, the Big Red Bopper. Thank you, Jake. Never heard anyone call Santa the Big Red Bopper before, but I see it. Uh, Yeah, I have now. Finally, this is for Andrew. It's now cold outside. Approaching frigidity. Stay toasty, my friends. Thank you, Andrew. And thanks to all the new subscribers. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. We got a brand new newscast for you tomorrow. We're here in D.C. so you don't have to be.